This is episode number 74 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jesse Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your health care. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey friends, Jesse here. Before we get into today's show with Aisha, I want to let you know that my Core Plus Floor Restore program is on sale now for my birthday. It's my birthday today. I'm 32 and you get to take 32% off Core Plus Floor Restore. This is my signature postpartum core and pelvic floor recovery program that gets you back into moving in your body soon or later after you have given birth. There is the original program, which is used if you have had a vaginal birth, or there is the C-section program, which you can use if you have had a cesarean birth. The Core Plus Floor Restore program is a DIY, do-it-yourself eight-week program that you can do at home, in your pajamas, in your bed, on the floor, wherever is convenient and easy for you. For the next eight weeks, it'll take you five to 10 minutes a day to do these breathing, core, glute, full body movements, exercises, and stretches with the goal of really just helping you to feel good physically, mentally, and emotionally. So it's on sale from now, July 2nd through to July 4th. Use code BIRTHDAY at checkout. The link is in the show notes of today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome on to another episode of To Birth and Beyond. Jesse Mundell. Anita is not with us today, but we have such a special guest, and I am really looking forward to this conversation. We have Aisha Bizimwa Ali with us today, and we are going to be talking about abortion doula care. Aisha, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So looking forward to this, as I said, this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And of course, many of the listeners who are tuning in today for this show. So I actually polled on my Instagram last night to see if anyone had questions before diving into this conversation with you today about abortion doula care. And so many responses came in with people being so surprised and having no idea that this type of doula work was actually a thing. So I think it's just even more telling that we need to be having this conversation so people know your services and your support is there. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So let me just give a quick intro to you and then we'll get into some questions. Okay. So Aisha is a former intern consultant and volunteer to a number of human rights organizations dedicated to improving the lives of women and families, and has spent her career utilizing her skills and supporting big ideas and building community. She is currently a birth worker, full spectrum doula, creative, and mother of two. 
committed to living and working within the framework of birth and reproductive justice. Aisha has trained as a birth and postpartum doula, completed her certification in pregnancy and infant loss advocacy, as well as taking courses in supporting the spectrum of loss and management of miscarriage and sex and birth training. Absolutely incredible. Tell us more about the work that you do. Well, um, as you can kind of hear, um, it's, it, it pretty much encompasses all parts of, of um, reproductive health um, for uh, people who are um, experiencing birth, pregnancy, um, the decisions around reproduction, contraception. Um, and uh, basically, like, I found that all those kind of or these kind of issues um they're kind of like the foundational life issues <laughs> like everything can be affected by your reproductive health um anyone that has like very painful periods or um fertility issues um knows how uh encompassing it can be um so it's really my passion to just support people um, through whatever it is that they're going through, um, making sure that they have the information that they need to make the best decision um, for themselves. And um, that's like my my main philosophy is like it's not about what I would do or what's best, what I think is best for them, um, because I don't know. <laughs> and so I um, my passion is really just to make sure that people have the information that they need, they know about their bodies and how it works, um, and they can make good decisions and, and just have like a really healthy um, reproductive life. Because I've, I've heard it said um, before that, you know, if you have a healthy reproductive or healthy sex life, it's like 1% of your life. <laughs> but if it's not healthy, it becomes like such a huge um, barrier. So, uh, yeah, that's basically where I'm coming from. I love that. Yes, absolutely. And I can tell that that is at the center of your work is really trusting that the person who you're working with mm-hmm. knows what's best for their body. And, uh, that is not revolutionary. However, it is such <laughs> an important thing yeah. to consider our work from the lens of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what is a full spectrum doula? Um, A full spectrum doula um, means that, um, I guess people would define it in a few different ways, Um, but it basically means that um, like a kind of the more known role of a doula is through birth, um, like kind of antenatal. Uh, So um, the last few weeks of pregnancy um, and birth and postpartum. Um, so a full spectrum doula um, would work with people in different uh, points of the um, reproductive journey. So um, they might specialize in fertility or adoption or abortion um, or all of those, um, as well as there's even um, doulas who support people um, through like periods, uh, contraception, um, sex, uh, in whatever 
whatever stage they're at, whether it is um, postpartum sex, which um, any uh, parent out there knows that it can be a thing, <laughs> um, or um, or I've I've even supported people who are um, who have grown up similar to me in a pretty like sheltered um, conservative um, view of sex, and then having to like dive into that later in life and like where do you get the information um because it's kind of shocking how how little information we actually get even if we get sex ed um in school so um yeah so it's it's really like a very broad spectrum of um of work including of course um like supporting families that are going through miscarriage um or uh, stillbirth, um, and yeah, just basically, yeah. <laughs> basically yeah. anything that kind of touches that <laughs> that period of of life. Yeah, I think that's so important for you to talk about because I think we do just think of doulaing as through birth maybe into the postpartum period and that's kind of where we think it starts and stops but really as you're mentioning it can just be in so many facets of someone's life which is really beautiful yeah yes so let's talk about the work of an abortion doula and how you would support someone through that what does that look like um, it basically looks like whatever um, the person who is going through it needs. Um, so sometimes that can just be, um, where do I go? <laughs> um, what is available to me in my community? So resources and connection um, within the community. Um, it could mean um, meeting with them for coffee and just listening (laughs) Um, because maybe they don't have anyone else to process out loud um, with. Um, It could mean uh, like actually going to the appointment with them, Um, although it's not always possible to go into the room with them. Um, Sitting in the waiting room, (laughs) um, running to the pharmacy to get an IUD that's been prescribed by the, the doctor at the clinic, um, whatever, whatever is needed, making sure you get home okay, and that you're processing things okay um, afterwards. So it's really dependent on like um, how much support the person has in their in their village, so to speak, um, and uh, what what kind of like resources or information they have, or even just um, talking through. Um, like taking the medication, checking in, like, is this normal? Uh, what can I expect? What, what is the procedure like if it's a surgical abortion? Um, that kind of thing. Okay, that's, that's really great. You touched on so many things that I was going to ask you follow-up questions to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I was so interested if, is everyone having a surgical abortion or some people taking the abortion pill as we know it to be in Canada? So you're supporting people who could be having any of those events. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so in the case of a surgical abortion, you mentioned that sometimes or often you're not allowed into the room or the procedure with the person. 
Yeah. How do you feel in those spaces? Are medical providers open to you being there? Um, I think so. I'm not sure that, um, I'm not sure that very many, it's, it's kind of an ongoing work. Um, I just started working with the Ottawa Abortion uh, Doula Collective. Um, so, uh, that group of people are really advancing, like, the, the knowledge even amongst, um, uh, providers that, abortion doulas exist in Ottawa and um, somebody uh, that's attending with a patient might be an abortion doula so I think it's kind of a new um, a new idea which is possibly why um, at this point like having someone in the room is is not always possible um, because to them like it's something new Right, kind of like having doulas and C-sections, like for a long time, that wasn't a thing. <laughs> but now, depending on the hospital, like it's, it's, um, it's possible quite a lot of the time. So uh, kind of similar as, as care providers get more um, aware of uh, doula support in this role, um, I think that that could possibly change a little bit. But it is still a medical procedure, so... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, there are those things to consider as well. Yeah, so interesting. Can you explain, actually, I love that you mentioned that you're in Ottawa, so we're both in Canada, so this is a different conversation depending on where you live. Um, what? How does that collective that you're a part of work? Um, so it's actually brand new. <laughs> it just launched uh, long, the long weekend in May. Um, so it's still super new. Um, it's been really well received, which is awesome. Um, but basically how it works is, um, it's a group of people who have been trained, um, in doula support in this role. Um, many of whom are also doulas, um, in birth, et cetera. Um, some of whom are very active in the reproductive Uh, rights um, world and um, so basically like a client will contact us and tell us what they're looking for and then we kind of arrange um, who is available uh, to um, to meet that need at this time so um, if it's a uh, medical like um, pharmaceutical abortion then like maybe they don't need somebody with them or they don't want anybody with them necessarily, but um, they just want check-ins. So uh, we would kind of arrange that uh, between us. That's how it works right now. Yeah. That's amazing. So So we'll see, we'll see as it gets um, more known and busier, um, how that will change or if it will change, I'm not sure, but uh, yeah. Cool. I love hearing about that. Yeah. (laughs) I think that there's this assumption that all people who are going to have an abortion or having an abortion are feeling conflicted or shameful or so guilty for what they are doing. Yes. I'm so glad you're bringing that up. (laughs) Yes. And that's just not the truth. No, exactly. Um, Exactly. I think that there's even, I think it's easy to fall into that mindset, even if you are, um, pro-choice or an advocate 
but um, there's like an assumption that um, people who are getting abortions can't afford support for one thing um, and that they feel very badly and ashamed um, and uh, that it's like this sad like victim-y kind of thing um, but it's just not the case yes there are people who might feel sad um, or they might feel a variety of things um, and sadness might be one of them uh, lots of people feel relief um, and really like when when we say abortion is medical care that's that's true <laughs> so do you feel sad and like ashamed when you go visit the doctor no not probably not usually um, so I think it's really important in the conversation to to really say like there are definitely people who cannot afford it. And I personally um, take that into account. Um, but also, um, I'm not saving them. Um, I'm not like helping them out from like this raised platform <laughs> because they're like down, you know? Um, so a lot of people want to um, have some kind of exchange, even if they can't afford the entire amount. Um, it's not a lot, just like expenses, but um, they they want to make that exchange because that's like us coming together. I have something to offer you and, and you are getting a service and it's like not sad or shameful. <laughs> I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but yes. Yeah, you are. You absolutely are. Yeah. So I think that's really important. Uh, a really important part of the conversation for sure. Definitely. Um, in my experience, a lot of people, uh, there's like a very broad range of emotions, but, um, but it doesn't need to be shameful or sad or, um, and that, that really struck me when I started this work is, especially as I mentioned, I came from a pretty like conservative um, Christian background, like super pro-life. <laughs> so um, it really struck me the first few times that I was um, in the waiting room and I'm thinking, like I'm looking around at the, at the other people waiting and I'm thinking, this is, this is not, this is not what I had, um, in my mind all those years, like as a teenager growing up, you know, this is not um, terrible. These people's lives are not ruined. They're not going to go on and like <laughs> regret this for the rest of their lives, hopefully. Um, yeah, so that's the thing. If you're making a choice empowered and informed, then, um, then that doesn't need to be part of it. Yes. Yes. Thank you for all of that. I love that you mentioned that people, lots of people feel relief after their abortions. And I think that we don't, we don't see that enough. We don't talk about that enough, but that is real and true and common. Yeah. I also think it's so cool that you like talking about your background and where you came from and the sex education that you were given and now it's so interesting that you're doing this work and just how much unlearning that must have been and oh still my is gosh. for yes. you, like checking yeah. your own stories and your own biases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, I did um, like 
as, as you mentioned, uh, sex and birth training um, with Tynan Rhea, who's an amazing um, sex educator. And, um, and part of the course was really like doing an inventory about um, like no judgment, but like, what do you think of this situation? Or like, what would you say if someone told you that they're polyamorous or, <laughs> or whatever, um, whatever it might be. And um, so it was super interesting uh, going through the inventory and then really evaluating like, why, why do I like, like, why do I think that way about certain things or like what is wrong with that <laughs> um and when you really boil it down nothing is wrong with that <laughs> like maybe it's not for me but again like people need to make their own choices about their own life and that's theirs to make and if it's good for them then as long as they're not hurting other other people obviously but um I don't even think I needed to make that obvious statement, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's again, like people are smart and they're capable of making the best choices for themselves. And it's kind of patronizing to think that I know what's best for someone else um, in their situation. Cause I just don't know. Yeah. And I love that you also, so all of that kind of relates to, elitist ideas and I love what you also said I can't remember exactly what it was now but um, as you're supporting someone through abortion as this doula as this care provider you are not elite to them like there isn't this um, this isn't hierarchy you know Mm -hmm. you're like really on their level just trying to help them with your service as you can yeah, it's coming alongside. <laughs> coming alongside. Like, and walking, walking with them. Yeah. 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 So good. I'm interested. So again, we're both in Canada, different parts of the country, but um, similar access to abortion, I would assume in the cities that we're in. Mm-hmm. But even though we are in like major metropolitan areas of Canada, what if there are barriers to abortion services that you see? Um, you know, that's a really good question or uh, thing to bring up is that um, there definitely is um, still barriers uh, to accessing abortion. I think that most of them are kind of invisible. <laughs> um, so like if you live in Ottawa, in the city of Ottawa, um, probably it's not that hard for you um, to call and make an appointment at the clinic, um, or see your family doctor. But even if you live just a little bit outside, like, how do you get there? Um, I know that one clinic, uh, in particular, um, not signaling them out for any reason. It's just because I know them the best. (laughs) Um, but you have to have a drive home. And if you don't have a ride home, like, they'll cancel your appointment. So if you live rurally, what are you going to do? I don't really know. Um, You have to have someone, um, which is part of of, uh, the work of the collective for sure, is making sure that people do have a way home and making sure that 
um, clinics know that they can call us uh, if they have someone who needs a ride. Um, but also um, because of like the security and like the politicization of, um, of the clinics. So Ottawa now has a bubble zone. So that's awesome. Um, so you don't have people with their signs and like yelling <laughs> things outside. Um, but still pretty high security um, for, especially, sorry, for um, surgical abortion. Um, so I could see that being intimidating uh, for people. Um, like uh, one clinic has like bouncer looking guys <laughs> at the door. <laughs> um, so it could e go either way that could make someone feel very safe or it could make someone feel very intimidated um particularly if they've been um a survivor of sexual assault like that could be triggering so i think that uh i think generally like politics doesn't belong in medical procedures and it would be really great if we could get to a point where um that element I don't know if we can ever get there but um, it would be great if like that level of like threat would be eliminated so that people could just like access the health care that they need um, yeah because also I don't know if people know this but um, abortion clinics uh, particularly surgical abortion clinics they also offer DNCs to people who have had a missed miscarriage and don't want to be on the labor and delivery floor. Um, but that's like, because of all the politics around it, it's like, it's a, it's a huge barrier uh, to accessing um, the healthcare that they need. Um, and yeah, so that's like a whole nother layer of it. Like everybody that is going to an abortion clinic is not getting an abortion. <laughs> Some people are accessing IUDs and contraceptives. Um, some people have had a mis miscarriage and need a DNC. Um, so I think that that is also like unfortunate. Yes. So people are just like really barred from access or easy access, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for for saying all that and especially that not everyone going to an abortion clinic is having an abortion i think that'll be news for a lot of people yeah and also as you mentioned the rural barriers in canada are real especially in northern communities with indigenous mm -hmm. people um, I was just saying it's been in the news the last couple of weeks here in canada about the abortion pill and how do you pronounce the name of that um, I think it's Mifigemiso. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Good enough. Um, that's uh, that's my best attempt. <laughs> yes. Uh, finally being covered by yeah. healthcare in Northwest Territories, which yes, is amazing. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, there are still barriers to access. Like these conversations are so real for people. It's even interesting as you're mentioning needing a drive home from your abortion. So when I was considering an abortion in fall of 2017, this was something 
that my husband and I were talking about as well, just in terms of our life and setting that up and how that would work with our two-year-old toddler, no family in town. And it's just, it's so important to recognize that even coming from a place of such privilege and high access that these are things that people have to consider as well. And that did feel like a barrier and how are we going to work that out? And it just is, I think that people tend to think of abortion as being perhaps emotionally challenging, but especially in Canada, that it will be easy or simple to make that whole event happen. And it's really not even for the people who are, again, in high access or highly privileged. So imagine what that situation is like for people who are not. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. As we get close to wrapping up here, I'm interested if you can talk a little bit about what the costs might look like for someone who is seeking abortion doula support. Um, so, sure. Um, so through the Ottawa Abortion Doula Collective, um, it is free. The services are free. Um, and we do accept donations um, through our GoFundMe. Um, so those, like, basically... Um, and for me personally, um, if someone is seeking my services and wants to, and has like means to pay, um, I usually charge a hundred dollars. Um, basically that goes to looking after my kids, (laughs) um, while I am with you and, uh, parking downtown is super expensive. (laughs) Parking at the Riverside hospital is super expensive. So, um, so basically that's, that's it. It's just uh, like covering kind of like the cost of, of um, being in person. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's pretty accessible. Um, I, I try and make my services uh, as accessible as possible. And, um, and I definitely wouldn't turn someone away um, that needs support uh, because they can't pay. Um, that's just not how I roll. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so also through the collective, it's, it's also free. So, um, so the GoFundMe donations basically like go to admin costs and like parking and gas. That's pretty much it. That's incredible. We will get that information and link for the GoFundMe and we'll post that in the show notes for sure. So where can we find out more about you? Um, right now, my website is under construction because I'm very pregnant. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm a little bit slow at getting <laughs> that back up. But uh, I'm on Facebook um, at The Village Well, um, Full Spectrum Doula Care. And um, you can also check out the Auto Abortion Doula's um, Facebook page. And uh, we have a website and a GoFundMe. Amazing. We will link to all of that, as I said, in the show notes. Aisha, thank you so much. Such a pleasure to speak with you. Such a pleasure to speak with you too. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 